Welcome to Christian Medical and Dental Association's Chapel. We trust this message will encourage your walk with the Lord. As I was thinking about, well, first of all, when I do a chapel, what I usually find is that I'm just going to talk to you about what God's been working on me about. And then I find that other folks come to me later and say, hey, you know, that, that's kind of where I've been, or I've heard a little bit there that resonates with me. So God kind of works on us in similar ways sometimes. Um, the idea of identity has just kind of been in my heart here for the last few weeks. Um, I know I have trouble sometimes talking to Gen Zs and using analogies that, um, you know, come from that are more recent. So I st- wanted to say, hey, remember match game. So now nah, you're not going to know. I can remember that. But there was a game where you would match, and you would start with a, you know, a word and then fill in the blank. Okay? So somebody um, suggested, well, what about family feud? Okay, well, that's still on, so we can go with that. Um, if I surveyed 100 people and got their response to this, identity blank, what, what, would, what do you think it would be? Theft. Crisis. Crisis. Any others? Politics. I'm sorry? Politics. Politics. That's always front of mind for you, isn't it? So. <laughs> that didn't make my top three, but I, I understand. So if you said identity theft, that's not where I wanted to go today, but I got something for you here. Um, love this meme. Look, someone stole my identity, and his reply was, well, maybe... Maybe they'll make something out of my life. (laughs) But I'd like to talk about uh, identity, whoops, identity crisis a little bit, okay? Um, Before we get into that, though, let's talk about, you know, just the definition of identity. The condition or character as to who a person or what a thing is, the qualities, beliefs, etc., that distinguish or identify a person or thing. That's the standard definition of identity. Or the condition of being oneself. You know, how do, what are the things that make you you, put simply? Interestingly, if you look up the word identity crisis, here's what you get. A period of uncertainty and confusion in which a person's sense of identity becomes insecure, typically due to a change in their expected aims or roles in society. So the things that come to my mind about uh, identity crisis, what might cause that today, gender dysphoria, right? We hear a lot of talk about, that's the number one thing. If you talk to Scott, when you go to our website, anything about transgender gets the largest number of hits. Um, Certainly suicide rates among people today. Statistics show that suicide has increased 30% from 2000 to 20. 20. We don't have the data for the last couple of years, and I suspect that number is going to be even higher. Okay. And I have a wife who is, I'm going to celebrate today. She retires effective today, almost 20 years teaching at Science Hill. What she and I have talked about almost on a nightly basis is the number of students that come to her now with just uncertainties about things. She teaches biology. She has kids for maybe an hour a day for one semester. But the kids that come to her and share things about themselves and the uncertainties about life for them post 
I won't say post-pandemic because it's even been just post, you know, doing school at home. It's just unreal the number of those and the things that they're talking about, the heavy things that are on their hearts. So I'll admit that's an anecdotal thing. That's me and one teacher friend that I know. But I have that feeling that this is not a unique situation that she's run into. So all of those things seem to me to be leading to an identity or, or be representative of the fact that we're, we've got an identity crisis out there. Now, if you do research on what causes identity crisis, and I love the fact that I can say I've done research. What does that mean? I've done a, I've done a search on the Internet, right? Most common causes for identity crisis. Occurrence of a traumatic event. Okay. Anybody know anybody who's lived through a traumatic event in the last couple of years? Yeah. Loss of someone you love. Any one of these could trigger an identity crisis. Okay. Um, there have been over a million people in this country alone that have died from COVID. Now, that's in addition to those that have died due to other causes. Major life transitions, like moving, changing schools, switching careers. Wow, any of us that haven't been affected by one or more of those categories or, or know anybody that hasn't been? Maybe that's the question. So the potential for an identity crisis is, is large. Significant health changes. Okay, so maybe you don't know anyone directly who died from COVID, but certainly people that were affected by their health has been affected by that. And relationship changes. Those are all listed as causes that can lead to an identity crisis. Okay, from here on, the research is all mine. Okay, I'm going to tell you about some experiences that, that I have, and, and I hope you can relate to those. Um, but I want you to understand this is kind of, you know, uh, my perspective. So... From my view, identity starts with relationships in many cases. As children, um, I was born on my dad's birthday. So I didn't get just his last name, I got his first name. And I got his nickname. And there are aunts, uncles, mostly aunts, that roam this earth that to this day will come up and pinch my cheek and call me Little Mickey. Okay? Uh, that's part of my identity. This is Luke, the one that we just prayed for that has COVID. This is his mom, okay? He's casting eyes at the, the oddball here in the picture because that's his, that's his cousin who he hasn't really known. He's very comfortable sitting in his mom's lap. That relationship is there with his mom. Not so sure about his cousin, Elise. How about relationships as a sibling, okay? Anybody grow up with a close sibling and... How you related to that person kind of impacted your identity? Um, oh, look, there's another grandchild. My granddaughter, Abby, we were out there two weeks ago today. We were out visiting with them in Baxter, and the girl just loves to read, okay? Her dad got a call the day before and said, hey, we just finished our standardized testing and Abby scored the highest score ever for reading in elementary at Baxter for, for kindergartners. Okay. High mark ever. Okay. And I'm, while I'm thinking about that, and of course, you know, 
doesn't take far less than that to be the proud pappy, right? Well, here I'm thinking, yeah, but she's got a brother, Jack. And Jack's two and a half, and Jack's going to go to the same elementary school and maybe have the same teacher. Jack, you can read to him while he's moving, okay? But he gets up in the morning and puts on his construction equipment before he takes off his pajamas, okay? And he's into his skid steer and his trucks and everything. And here's going to be Jack in about two to three years, and he's going to go to Baxter Elementary. And what's his identity going to be? Oh, you're Abby's brother. Okay. Here, would you read the story for us? <laughs> or I can just imagine, oh, Jack's just not Abby, you know. So identity as a sibling certainly um, uh, is a part of our, our identity. How about as a spouse? We were in a meeting earlier this weekend, and, and Becca said something about, well, what about that two become as one thing? Okay, because the conversation was kind of separate. As a spouse, we are, and as a couple, we are very often, that's part of our identity, right? How about as a parent? Oh, look, a couple more grandkids. Um, we identify strongly with our children. The empty nest thing is all about losing identity or, or identity changing because suddenly we're not the mom. Typically, it's the mom that's spending all of our time wrapped up with taking care of our children. Um, I got to help coach a t-ball team while I was out in, in Baxter, and I, it was a flashback to how we used to do things. because I, I coached my son, and now I got to help him coach his daughter. And I was watching these, these parents live vicariously through their children, okay? And they're five and six, and there's always that tendency to expect your children to be a better athlete than you are. And, you know, you're they've got your DNA. I'm sorry. It's probably not going to happen. But it happens not only on the athletic field. It happens in academics and other places. We, as a parent, our identity is wrapped up in our, our children. This one happened to me a few years ago. Um, before we built the house in Jonesboro, we lived in a subdivision in Johnson City. Um, we had a dog, a black lab named Lexi. And Lexi, um, Cindy would take Lexi out for a walk on a pretty faithful basis on the sidewalk. So everybody kind of knew Cindy and Lexi, okay? Lexi also had a tendency, though, when it would lightning and thunder. We had an underground fence, and she, she stayed outside when it was lightning and thunder, she'd get afraid and she'd run out of that fence and she'd take off. And so we'd always have to go find her. Okay. Well, there was one night we couldn't find Lexi. She'd be gone for a couple hours and we were worried. And all of a sudden this, uh, this Ford SUV pulls in the driveway and out gets Congressman David Davis. My backdoor neighbor was a U.S. congressman. And he comes to the door and he says, hey, are, are you Lexi's owner? Lexi had a tag on, so he knew who Lexi was, okay? Didn't know who I was. So I was immediately identified as being Lexi's owner. And I, it, it struck me as like, wow, if you were to take my picture and you go around the halls of Congress, the only way I'm identified is being Lexi's owner, okay? That's my identity to that group of people. How about as part of a community? Is that not part of how we identify I look around and see shirts where people are identifying you're with CMDA, 
You know, we even dress according to the community we're part of. I'm wear- I didn't think about it when I pulled the shirt out this morning, but, well, this is a Virginia Tech shirt. But it's also a shirt that I, I got at the Battle of Bristol, so I'm like, I'm part of that community that went to the biggest college football game ever, okay? That's part... Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, we're getting short on time here. So. My, wife, my wife's favorite team, that's the way I should answer that. So. <laughs> so, so community is a part of how we relate. But what does the Bible say about relationships and our identity? Well, first, we're created by God, right? I always think, there was a book that came out years ago that said, everything I need to know about life I learned in kindergarten, Okay. I think you could almost do a a similar book today and say much of what I need to know about life is answered in Genesis. We know God is our creator. The world doesn't always recognize that, but we know God is our creator. And from that, we know that we're children of God. Okay. Uh, and, and let me stop and say, none of this is revolutionary, uh, revolutionary to any of you, okay? But sometimes what I find in chapel is if somebody's reminding me of things that I need to be reminded of, that, that's useful for me. So I'm hopeful that maybe, maybe some of this will strike a chord for you. So 2 Corinthians 6.18 says, And I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me. But also we're redeemed by God. Part of that identity of being a child of the king is he's redeemed us. He claims us and he calls us by name. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that awesome to know that part of our identity that a God who created us and claims us as his children knows us, knows us by name. As a sibling, we talked about siblings earlier. Proverbs talks about a friend closer than a brother. In Luke, Jesus is identified as that friend, a friend of sinners. And in Hebrews, he's talked talked about how he will never leave or forsake us. We also get in Matthew 18 instructions on how we are to resolve conflict with our siblings. And as a spouse... Genesis 2.18 says it's not good for, that God looked and saw and said it's not good for man to be alone. Um, As I was reviewing this for chapel, um, I looked at the King James, the New American Standard and so forth, and, you know, God looks and says it's not good for Adam to be alone, so he creates Eve. And then Adam sees Eve. And the New American Standard and, and King James say, he looks at her and he says, she is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone, and I will name her woman. Now, let me, let's do an experiment here. I'd like maybe this half of the room, guys, go home tonight and see your spouse and say, you are flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone, and I'm going to call you woman. The New Living Translation says he looked at her and this group, you go home and see your wife and say, at last. Okay. And come back next week and let me know how that works for you. I'm going, I'm going with these guys, by the way. So, <laughs> but just imagine that. So Adam's been going through the day and 
Oh, I'm busy. I've been naming everything from armadillos to zebras. And then God brings me Eve. I'm not sure about the liberties they took to say at last, but I got to believe there was a, a certain amount of at last. God's brought me my companion. As a parent, um, children are a gift from the Lord, according to Psalms 127, a reward from him. And then grandchildren, Proverbs 17, 16, grandchildren are a crown to the aged. I keep trying to find translations that don't say aged, but most of them, unfortunately, that's where I'm at. And parents are the pride of their children. And I'm sorry that Lori's not here. We'll have to uh, share this with her later. But as a pet owner, Proverbs 12.10 says, the godly care for their animals. And as part of community, uh, Jesus in John 13.34 said, love each other as I've loved you. And he goes on to say, and that's how the world will know you. That's how the world will distinguish you is because of that love you have for one another. All right, so we talked about relationships. Another way we can be identified is by our actions and our accomplishments. So I'm going to give you some personal examples. I, I was incredibly shy as a child. If you got a scale where introvert to extrovert, where one is Hunter and 10 is Lindsay, I was a 0.5. Okay, I wouldn't, I wouldn't raise my hand to go to the bathroom. I'd cross my legs. I just didn't want, to, I didn't want attention. Okay? I was afraid of being embarrassed, afraid of making a mistake, fear of failure, all those things. As I got older, and, and God's worked me through that, um, I recognized, I talked about earlier, the DNA, the acorn doesn't fall far from the tree. My oldest son was the same way. Okay, he didn't, he didn't want to risk things. And often you'll hear that about birth order too. The first child is more risk averse. So I devised this thing, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be able to laugh at ourselves. So we, we took a goofy doll, okay? And anytime anybody in the family did something we could laugh at, we would give the goofy doll to them. He hated that. It didn't work well as a parent, okay? I'll just tell you that. I would give him the goofy doll on his bed and that night it would be stuck back under my pillow okay so that's something we've had to work through over time God continues to work with me on that on being able to laugh at myself and being able to make mistakes and uh, and still be uh, be fine with that you all remember the TV show a thousand ways to die came out about 10 12 years ago there was this TV show that came out and it's the premise was here are ways that people have died that are unique, okay? Oftentimes pretty embarrassing. I remember, you know, some people would watch that for entertainment, and I would see that, and I'm like, yeah, one of my life's goals is to never make this show, okay? Again, it was that fear of embarrassment, and there might have been a little bit more to it than that as well. Athletics and academics. I grew up, you know, playing sports and being identified with teams, um, probably more so than it should have been, quite honestly. But that was part of my identity. Um, academics, 
was part of that as well. I remember my mom was then talking with the superintendent of schools. Uh, she was a, like a fifth grade teacher. And he's got this um, chart over to the side. And he's, um, she looks at it and it's kind of like, a, um, it's a line increasing from one end to the other. And there's one big red dot over on the corner. And she looked at that. And I don't know what made her say it, but she said, what's that dot? And he's, he looks at her and said, oh, what? You're, you're just, you know, you know better than that, right? Said, no, what, what's that dot? So well, that's your son's SAT score, okay? And so I found out later I had the highest SAT score in my county for a period of five, ten years. I didn't even know this, okay? To me, academics was something I just, it was easy. I just did. I didn't identify with it. But then as I got into college and started getting some recognition for it, all of a sudden, hey, that's kind of who I am. That's part of my identity. Got into my career, and I'm... Um, I was a designer early in my career, and I remember taking a product out to the Air Force Academy and showing them how to install it. And the individual that was putting it in, you know, disagreeing with me on how to install, and him looking at me and saying, I read the instructions. I looked at him and said, I wrote the instructions. Okay. So part of my identity was, you know, the things that I did, what I accomplished. Um, as I got older, it was like, okay, things that we accomplished. There was, a, um, there was a young man, fell in love. He, he owned a company, fell in love with a, an employee, decided to marry her. was pretty well off by that point, so he's going to build her a house as they got married. Um, in fact, I say he was very well off. He was the richest man in the world. His name was Bill Gates. The factory that I was managing at the time built the windows for Bill Gates' house, and we were on an architectural digest, okay? Pretty cool, you know, that we were able to say, hey, we built the windows for the richest man on the earth, in the world. But what does the Bible say about our actions and our accomplishments being part of our identity? 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17 says, From now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. And then verse 20, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So all of those years of living with embarrassment and fear of failure, and it's like, hey, when those things happen to me, that's, they're, they're okay. Because I've been washed clean. It doesn't matter whatever I've done. And then Hosea 6, 6, I want to show you love. I want you to, sorry, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. And I just love how consistent the scriptures are from cover to cover. Jesus in Matthew 9, 13 said, now go and, well, first of all, let me set the stage for you. He's, um, He's with the accounting department and other sinners. I'll just put it that way. Well, that's what tax collectors were, right? I'm getting that look. Hey, uh, Connie's not here this week, so I'll hear about it next week probably. So he's with sinners, and he's being told, you shouldn't be with them. You should be with 
the righteous. And he said, now go and learn what this means. I desire compassion rather than sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So let me revisit some of these so-called actions and accomplishments. Avoiding embarrassment of failure. God has, again, he's working with me every day on this thing, okay? Because I still, when, when I go to activities, if you notice, I'm trying to, I put myself out front to put the flippers on, be one of the first ones to do it. Trying to, trying to get past that, trying to get past that embarrassment, trying to get past that being the one that everybody laughs at. I come back from driving a, driving a truck for, uh, for the National Convention, and I've blown four tires in, uh, <laughs> in two trips. And I'm thinking, yeah, okay. I, can't I can never retire from CMDA now because I know this is going to come up. We're going to hear about it, but I'm okay with that. A thousand ways to die is, yeah, I still don't want that. Athletics and academics, it's interesting if you go to a high school reunion we don't talk about the games we won. We don't talk about who scored the big points. We talk about relationships, and we talk about the love we have for each other. Those are the things that, that last. Career, um, who wrote the instructions and what we did, a um, couple situations there. The factory that I was blessed to manage for several years, I've run into people from time to time 20 years later. Nobody brings up the fact that we built windows for Bill Gates' house. Had a fellow named Bill Lee that worked for us. No relation to the politics. Bill Lee, when he and I got a chance to talk, just meet each other randomly, he said, do you still, take your, do you still own that property in Virginia where you used to take your kids? And it's like, yeah. And he related back to the fact that I would always take my children over the 4th of July every year, and we would take four to five days Cell service didn't work, which is a blessing. And we would just connect each other and we'd love on one another and we would just talk about hopes and dreams and goals for the... And you know what? That's what mattered to Bill, that I did that. Not that we ever built windows for Bill Gates. I got a chance to go back into that same factory about maybe 10 years later and there were two ladies that built, that did the glazing of the windows, came running up and hugged me. Okay. No talk about this project or that project or whatever. Just glad to see me and to, just to rebuild the relationship and the love we had for each other. And I mentioned that I, I um, coached a t-ball team when my kids were younger. Fifth, no, probably 20 years later, I ran into a lady. <laughs> I'm in like big lots. And coach, coach, coach. And I haven't been coaching in years. I look around, she's looking for me. And she, she was a lady who I had coached her son when he was five and six years old. And I remembered him. But you know, I don't remember how many games we won. I don't remember how many hits he had. But I remember his enthusiasm. And, and she and I talked about how that success on the field kind of encouraged him to go on and do other things. That's what mattered. That was the long-term impact, sharing the love with this young boy.
So let me leave you with this. Um, the world, many people are having an identity crisis right now. Let's continue to share the love of Christ because of our identity. Let's con the hope and healing of Christ to the world is never more needed than it is today. So let's work on sharing, whoops, sharing Christ with them, our identity in Christ, to help in whatever small part God's called us to in terms of the identity crisis that we see. That's my, my hope and prayer. Um, please pray with me. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, be here with this group, to, to share and to serve, to love on others because you first loved us. Help us as, uh, as we do serve to do so with joy, to, uh, to continue to be bold in uh, identifying with Christ, doing it in a winsome, in a joyful, in a uh, in the manner that you would have us to do it, um, and to consider it such the privilege that it is. Father, we love you and we praise you, and these things we will ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our brother, our Savior, your Son. Amen.